Welcome back to Bob Talk with Talia Little. Before I begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of which land I'm recording on today. So I'm on Bunurong country today. Beautiful skies outside, a little bit windy, but it's lovely. Uh, Maddie, where are you recording from? I'm on uh, Darawal country. Where's that? So it's the southwest of Sydney. Um, and it's um, in a place, I, li I live in the southwest of Sydney, so sort of 25 minutes southwest of the CBD. Um, it's Darawal country is beautiful country. It actually stretches from the George's River all the way, so sort of George's River near Liverpool, all the way out to the coast, um, the Pacific Ocean. And um, yeah, I'd love to take this opportunity as well to acknowledge um, Darawal country. It's It's been my home for the last few years. It's very welcoming and um, it's got beautiful, um, a beautiful energy on Darawal country. I just went out and did a hike over the weekend on the coastline of Darawal country and, and it's just stunning. Um, so I'd like to pay my respects to um, Darawal ancestors as well. Wow, how lucky are we to like be on other countries and be able to connect with them? Totally. And there's something about Gadigal country that is, um, you know, super inviting for me as well. And that's obviously the inner city. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, there, there's something about the Oronation in general, the, you know, the 29 clans that is metropolitan Sydney, that really does feel welcoming. It feels like this was always the place where people came to meet and to, to hang out. And like, I can just imagine before colonisation, what it was like, you know, there's a city here today as known as Sydney, but it was just built on the blueprint of what was he, um, you know, forever. So um, for me, this country is beautiful and it feels like home to me. That's really beautiful how you speak about it like that and how you have that connection. Where did you, where were you before that? I, before you moved to Sydney? Yeah, I was born in Sydney in the Western suburbs of Sydney in um, a place called Campbelltown. So it's not too far from where I live now. Um, in a very poor suburb called Claymore. Um, and I grew up with my brothers, my single mum. And then I went to foster care on the Central Coast and lived on the Central Coast for a few years. So that's still in New South Wales? It is in New South Wales, yeah. It's okay, sort yeah. of an hour north of Sydney. Right. And then I went from the Central Coast to Tamworth, so back to my own country, Kimilaroi country. Um, some people say Gomoroi, some people say Gamilaroi. Um, There's lots of pronunciations and spellings. Um, but I, I, I feel like that's the same with everywhere. Like it's Perfect. just so many different ways of, um, you know, sounding it and pronouncing it and whatnot, especially because um, a lot of our languages are quite similar. It's just the dialect. I think that's what you call it. The dialect is different. Yeah. yeah. And the language groups within the tribe, like I can see how, you know, people would have thought that Gamilaroi sounded like Gomoroi or Gamilaray. Um, But yeah, so I moved to Tamworth when I was just at the end of primary school. So year five and six and lived in Tamworth until I was in year nine and then sort of wanted to get out of there. And then I ended up coming back to Sydney to go to boarding school. I went to boarding school in North Sydney, so in Camaragal country. Um, and then I basically, actually I moved to Perth for a year um, because I needed to get away from everyone and sort of find myself. And then I came back to Sydney and I've lived here ever since. Wow, so you're a big New South Wales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, yeah. I love <laughs> I, it. I've actually only been to Sydney once, or um, New South Wales once, and I wasn't a big fan. So oh, I feel like I need to come back, yeah, because most people we get on Mob Talk are actually, funnily enough, living um, on Gadigal country. 
which okay. is crazy. I don't know how, I feel like there's just a lot of, um, Sydney's kind of the place to be in terms yeah. of like music and creatives and stuff like that. I can see, I can see definitely why you think that, but, um, like it, it's obviously like a hub because it's the big city. It's, it's, there's a lot of opportunity. Um, but it's funny because I know so many mob from all over the country. Like I know a lot of people from Larrakia country up in the Northern territory, um, you know, and there, there's this thing of this land and this country, especially Gadigal country being so welcoming. It's like home to all of us, even though we come from different places, so many different places. Um, it's pretty beautiful. Yeah. So taking it back to what you were saying before. So you lived with your mom until you were six. Um, Is that right? I lived with my mum until I was, I will, it was, I go by primary school uh, years. Yeah. Okay. So I was, when I was put in foster care, I was in year four. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And so, what was that like? Did you, do you remember much of that experience? I remember a lot of it. Um, I remember all of it actually. And it was a really tough experience because I grew up with my mum who obviously had drug and alcohol issues she you know she and she still struggles with those issues issues to this day she hasn't been able to get out of that life um but she um she wasn't able to be a, a great mom she just had too much um too many struggles and too many challenges as a mom so we ended up being put into foster care my brothers and i um on the central coast and we were put into foster care as a group and then we'll split up because a couple of issues happened while we were in care and, and you know, it was in three boys. It's difficult to find a carer who yeah. would take on three boys. And, um, and so we ended up getting split up for a little bit. Uh, but I do remember all of the moments in foster care. It was, it was really tough. Um, it was tough because the unfamiliar surroundings. We didn't know, we'd never been to the central coast. We didn't know these people who we had been placed with. Some of them, some of the times they already had foster kids. And so it was like moving into a fully, fledged family and you sort of felt like you're on the outer and had to prove yourself and to get comfortable. We also moved around a lot in the central coast. So it wasn't just like we had one foster carer. We had multiple, we had, you know, at some stages we had a foster carer from Monday to Friday and then they, they wouldn't be able to, you know, um, have us on the weekend. So we would then go and stay with another foster carer on Saturday and Sunday and then, you know, go back to them on a Monday. So it was very unstable. Um, and what was it, was it like not having that, stability in your life and being constantly moved around like did you do you feel like you blamed your mum when you were that age when I was that age I I was always like this little kid with a very wise sort of outlook on the world and and I never I still to this day haven't blamed anyone for specific things that have happened to me I think that um blaming isn't going to really resolve anything so I just I just try not to judge them I try not to judge my mum I try not to judge my dad and the like instability that I actually had in foster care wasn't too far from the instability that I had in my life before getting taken away. Yeah. So it was interesting, you know, we sort of were told that we were going, we were being taken away because we needed stability and we needed routine and structure and, you know, a good life. And, and in some of those foster homes, there wasn't any of that. So some of them were so bad that we almost probably were better off with my mum. So you know, it, there were a few times where, where it was pretty awful, but then we had, in the end, we had a really great foster carer um, who looked after us for sort of the last, I would say the last year, six months to a year. Um, and 
you did all the things that a good parent should do, you know, had a routine, had structure, um, taught us, you know, what we needed to be taught and also just loved us unconditionally. We were little rap ads. We were, you know, three, <laughs> three boys mucking around. Yeah. Three, you know, little black fellas running around soddy nose. Like it wasn't like we were, we had any sort of understanding of how to act because we had a really unstable childhood. So it was, there was a lot of, mucking up and and a lot of challenges for the carers i suppose um mm. but in the end we did end up with a good foster carer who looked after us and only just recently reached out to me when she saw me on tv which is funny oh isn't that lovely though so cute so like yeah. and it was so lovely because this name popped up and i can you always remember your foster carers names and um and her name was robin and she and i saw this message request come through and i went Oh, Robin. And it was her. And she was like, Oh yeah, I just want to say that I saw you on TV and that um, I'm just so proud of you and blah, 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 blah. And then we reestablished a connection. And so we talk now, like we talk, um, you know, every now and then. Um, but yeah, she, and she still has the foster kid who was with us when we were in foster care. So she adopted. Isn't that, yeah. Isn't that lovely that you can kind of look back on those memories as well as having the bad with the good and kind of see it with Robin and kind of, um, you know, appreciate it for what that was yeah. rather than, you know, as you said, blaming, um, blaming everyone, because that kind of just gets you nowhere. No, it doesn't. I've never, ever been the type of person to blame, put the blame on my parents, especially because I know what they went through. I know like, my mum has never been able to get out of the life that she's so deeply stuck in, no matter what I do, no matter how much I support her. It could be to the point where she lives with me, which, you know, I, I did take on the responsibility for a part of my life where I let her live with me. And still, it wasn't enough. You know, her, the, I suppose the, the trauma has such a hold of her that I just don't see that she's going to make it out of that life, to be honest. Um, and... And I just think it's unfair if I blame her for, you know, not being able to be a good mum. She went through a lot as well. It's hard though as well because when you have um, a parent that has a drug addiction, especially like my dad, um, he was a drug addict for a lot of his life and you just can't, you, they're just unpredictable. They, you know, when you're on a substance like, you know, what most people are on heroin, ice, whatever it is, or just even alcohol, you can't control how they're going to act. And, you know, they're quite unpredictable in the sense of, you know, they can lie, they can do this, they can do that, but you know, you can't help but love them and yeah. want to help, but you can't do anything. Yeah, I agree. I think that the only thing that you can do and um, the only thing that I do now is try not to judge them um, and just, be there like answer the phone you know or, yeah. or you know communicate with them and, and and try yeah my main thing is just not judge them because they're obviously going through it like their life is 10 times as hard as you know ours yeah mm. so do you know what VACA does sorry VACA no. so Okay, so basically, I'll just give you a little rundown. So the Victorian Aboriginal Childcare Agency is what funds my podcast, Mob Talk. And basically, we're a welfare agency that works on, um, I guess, reconnecting families, working with families to uh, to rehabilitate them, I want to say, in ways, um, in terms of like we have a program called Intensive Family Services where um, 
they go out to families home, help the kids get to school, you know, make sure the parents are, you know, like they're checking in with them and stuff like that. And we have a lot of foster care programs. So that's actually why I really wanted to get you on as well, because you're doing, you're obviously friends with my mum, Evie, yeah. and she, yeah. you know, she suggested you, you know, being with the career that you're taking now. And um, I guess going, going through it when you're a kid, you know, you've gone through the foster care system and now you're here and, you know, you're more than just a kid from care. And that's kind of, you know, really amazing to see that because we work with so many young people who get split up like you guys at stages from, you know, their um, brothers and sisters and they can't find hope. Yeah. And it's, it's horrible to see that. Yeah. I, I, um, I know too many people who have been in the care system and, and that have been affected, um, you know, in, in just ways that are just, so awful um i'm i'm it's weird because i look back on my experience in the care system as something that i wouldn't change um but it's not something that i ever want anyone else to go through wow isn't that a powerful statement <laughs> why is that why do you why would you look back on your time in the care system and just think you wouldn't want that to change i think it's interesting because what happened was when i was younger my my um mom told me that my dad had died and we grew up with the belief that my dad had died and being put into the foster care system they didn't find a birth a, a death certificate so there was no record of his death so they went on the hunt to find out if this man was still alive my dad and they found him alive wow yeah and we were in foster care when we got the news that he was alive. And so if I didn't, if I wasn't taken into foster care, I wouldn't have um, met my dad because I would have believed that he had died um, because that's how I grew up. And it was one of those moments where it was so unbelievable. I, I just didn't believe that they'd lied to us a lot. The care system had lied to us a lot already. They told us that uh, the first day they took us, they told us that we were only going for a short drive around the corner and we wouldn't go far. And they took us for an hour and a half drive all the way to the foster home. So from, the, from you know, from that moment of getting in the backseat of that car, there was um, trust that was broken. And I didn't believe them a lot. A lot of the times I didn't believe them, especially because even for visitations, there, there would be so many flaky appointments where they'd say, oh, you're seeing your mum this next weekend and then it wouldn't happen. So when they told me that my dad was alive, I actually didn't believe them. And I said, well, uh, it's funny because I only saw a few photos of my dad when I was little. I remember I have one memory of him, but the rest is just photos. And I remember what he looked like. So I was like, okay, well, when I see this man, if he's not my dad, I'm going to know because I know what he looks like, you know, and, and he had this tattoo on his arm that I saw in a photo. And it was just one of these weird moments where I was like, Oh, okay. No, that is actually my dad. Um, when I met him in, um, Parramatta wow. and, um, and so, you know, if I didn't get taken into foster care, I would have had a really tough upbringing. There's no way I would have been able to get to the point that I'm at now, but, um, it was also a really tough experience for me. And I, I, I would hope that nobody else has to go th through that. And, you know, the worst case scenario is that they, the best case scenario is that if they do have to go through that, they have a really good experience. Mm. Yeah. So what was like, what was that like finding out that your dad was alive and are you still connected with him? Yeah. So I, 
came home from school one day from um, a school on the central coast and my foster carer sat me down and she said, oh, I've got something to tell you. Um, your father, the uh, the caseworker, her name was Karen, Karen someone, Karen, she had found my dad. And I said, oh, no, he's dead. Like, there's no way that's possible. He died a long time ago. And she's like, no, 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 they found him and he and we need to get you to meet him. So I was like this big you know, thing of us getting organized to meet him and it was weeks in advance. And I just kept on thinking up until that moment that it wasn't going to happen. Like that they, they stuffed it up. Like this, there's no way because my mom told me he died. I remember a memory of my mom getting off the phone and crying about it and then telling us, and my brothers and I all have that same memory of being told for the first time my dad had died. Um, it was sort of when we were in a halfway house, like a, um, a woman's refuge when we were younger. And we all have the exact same memory of being told, you know, your dad died. And, and, and so it just was so ingrained in my heart. And we had certain little, you know, things that we would do. So we had a yellow rose in our garden, wherever we moved with my mom and we'd water that and that'd be like the symbol of dad. And it would be literally to the point where it's like, it's your turn to water dad today. Like we believed it that much that it was like a routine and a ritual to honor dad who had died. And there's a funny story of my mum's friend um, who I called Annie Maxine. She was this, you know, Aboriginal woman. And one day she said to me, you know, I saw your dad in spirit form walking with you boys. And now I look back on that. I'm like, what a, what a liar. <laughs> so was your mum just like, was she dirty on your dad and then has just completely cut you off? Like, did you ever ask her? Yeah, I, I have asked her. And there's, there's two versions of the, of the story. Um, and it involves one of my dad's sisters. And um, she said that she was, she was told by my dad's sister that, that he had died. And I think that there was a, um, unhealthy relationship between my mum and my aunties. And um, I don't know if that happened. I, I've never got to the bottom of it. Um, and I don't care to. I don't need to know the truth. I met my dad. I'm close to my dad now. We talk every single, you know, most days. We're very, um, you know, ingrained in each other's lives. I don't need to know the answer to that. I don't need to know if my mum lied to me to to um, stop us from asking about our dad or if my auntie lied to her. I don't really care, um, to be honest, because it's not going to... You don't want to bring that up as well. Yeah, and it's not going to do me any, like, there's nothing about that that I that will close any sort of um, void for me because at the, at the end of the day, my dad's alive. And um, so it's like, if... If there was like, if my dad wasn't around and I, and I wasn't, you know, um, so ingrained in my dad's life, I might be a little bit bitter, but now I'm like, Oh, I've got my dad. I love my dad. My dad and I love each other. Like we're good. Mm. And you talk about, um, not having trust in the care system. Now this is something we face with a lot of our young people, especially because I was a youth worker probably like a year back. And, um, we did a lot of work with kids and they just had no, I guess, no faith in the system at all, which kind of led to them, you know, either reoffending again or not showing up to appointments and stuff because they would almost believe that we're just not going to show up. So right. how did you go about that in those situations? Like, how did you get through those situations? Yeah, I definitely think from the start of my relationship with the system, and that was the day that they came to get us and pick us up and put us in the car, um, that was when the first sort of trust was broken because they sort of, 
didn't want to tell us that we're going far away because it would make us upset. But in, but you know, they sort of tried to say, you know, we're not going far and that you'll, you'll be able to see your family soon and blah, blah, blah. But it just sort of broke our trust straight away. And from that moment, the first placement was a really awful placement. They placed us with this um, lady who had alcohol issues herself and she had a boyfriend who would come around and abuse us. And um, I ended up telling the neighbor who ended up telling uh, our caseworker, and then we—that's why we got split up. And for me, it was like I only told the lady so that we could get out of this difficult situation where we were being neglected and abused again. But now they—it felt like they punished us because we were split up from that moment. And so, I, from from that experience, I just was like, okay, I'm either going to have to cop the abuse, you know or the, the, um, the, nothing was as bad as that first experience. So sort of, it sort of started off really bad and then it got better over the, over the couple of years we were in foster care. So um, I sort of didn't really trust the processes, you know, like if I, if, oh, if I tell on someone that they hit my brother, they're just gonna split us up or, you know? So mm. I think it was difficult um, for me to trust until the last carer who did everything she said she was gonna do, her and her husband. Um, and turned up for us every day and was a really great carer. We had a really good caseworker at one point though. Um, and sometimes we had some really fun respite carers as well. So it wasn't all bad, um, but yeah, that's sort of where that lack of trust came in. It's funny when you think back to those memories and you kind of like think, oh, you little poor thing. Like when you think of yourself in those situations being okay. like, and you can actually feel how scared you were, you know, that feeling of being like, okay, well, actually remember that feeling and that moment yeah. of yeah. being scared. What yeah. do you think that your, I guess, caseworkers could have done differently? Like going, thinking back on it now, are there steps or protocols or something that you wish were put into play? Yeah, I think, um, Obviously, when a young person tells you about an incident that happens in their life, especially in the care system, to take it seriously and to believe them. Um, I know that young people can, anyone really, can um, create stories and, you know, make up things. But when I was trying to get my point across of, you know, that this lady's, when I was trying to tell my story to the caseworker, it was sort of dismissed in a way that, oh, you're being really difficult and, you know, it's your fault. It's your fault because you guys are too much to handle. And for me, that was just like a big slap in the face, one. Um, but also it just, it, it stops me from speaking up. And for me, I would say, you know, listen to the young people. It's, it's really important that they feel like they're validated when they're able to share um, their experiences especially you know abuse and neglect and, and that sort of trauma if they're going to share it with you take it very seriously um but also you know trying not to lie <laughs> don't make false promises to to these kids in care because they hold on to every word you say you might say you know you know yeah i'm planning on you planning on seeing your mum in a couple of weeks and and that little kid's going to count down those days and they're going to go, okay, a couple of weeks, that must mean two weeks. I'm going to, you know, hold on to the hope that I'm going to see my parent at that time. And then it doesn't come through. So, and I know that that's not always the caseworker's fault. It's, it's actually majority the, um, the parent's fault because sometimes they don't turn up or sometimes 
they don't even say they're not going to turn up. So you're waiting in a, in a, um, in a, you know, an office room in an office space or a boardroom for hours waiting on someone to turn up and they don't turn up. It's, it's a total letdown for the kids. So um, I think, yeah. And, and just, you know, having great first nation um, case workers, to be able to connect with the kids, for the kids to feel safe, because at the end of the day, that's the priority is for these young people in care to feel safe. Um, and when you are talking to someone who is mob, there's a level of um, trust that that is undeniable. Mm. And yeah, that's what I'd say. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's something about being... I have this conversation with blackfellas all the time. I met some out on the weekend and I'm like, so funny when you meet another blackfella, you're like we're just safe like we're i already trust you we're already vibing so it's just really great but um totally you know i see your instagram posts all the time and you on tv and you're just you seem so strong and confident and you know coming from a background that has been quite hard for you how did you not let the system define who you are yeah, I, um, you know, it was way before the system that I was a strong little, strong-minded little kid. I remember experiences when I was very little of trying to make things better. I always knew what was wrong and what was right. And um, and for me, I always tried to be the father figure for my family when my dad wasn't around. So I already took on a role as a very young person to to do the right thing and to strive and to try and excel and try and make something of myself. I think that um, there was a period in my life where I lost my way and that was, you know, at the end of high school, sort of, you know, becoming an adult, the, the sort of the, the challenges of growing up and becoming a mature person um, and a measured person and not somebody who goes off the rails or, you know, um, or doesn't take care of themselves. I had a period in my life where I threw all of those great traits that I once had as a kid out. Um, and only recently I feel like I'm getting them back. And, and I think that that's why people see the reflection of that in my work and stuff that, you know, people can see that I'm doing a lot of work now. I'm sort of, you know, really marching forward because I feel like I've got myself back when it comes to, um, you know, my personal traits and character that I had when I was a really little kid. Um, but nothing was ever too hard for me. I, there's been so many times where I've been told no, and somehow I've managed to flip that on its head. Um, and in all aspects of my life, my personal life, in my professional life, it's just something about me that is, um, you know, tenacity is sort of my like middle name. It's just, that, <laughs> you know, is really um, deep in my, deep in my bones. It's, it's, it's how I move around the world and how I achieve things. It's just that tenacity of, okay, I can do it. I just got to find a way. Every, anything is actually possible. You just have to find a way to do it. Hmm. And what's some advice you can give to young people in the care system, you know, really struggling or not feeling like there is a way out? Yeah, I, I think that seeing beyond your experience, and that can be really hard and it sounds a little bit naive, but if you can see beyond the immediate um, experience of your life and and look for um, a, few, a vision for the future, whether that's what you want to grow up and be, whether that's who you want to, you know, um, connect with and, and build relationships with, whether that's just literally getting to the end of the year and, and getting through school, just make sure you're continuously looking forward because 
for me as a kid, I always focused on the future because I then gave me something to work towards. It wasn't just, oh, okay, I'm in this care system. I'm in this shitty foster house. I'm having the worst time of my life. I'm lonely. You know, I don't have any family. I'm vulnerable, blah, blah, blah. It was more like, okay, how am I going to get through it? What's in the future? What can, you know, what can I do? And that's always been how I've, I suppose that's how I've um, stayed strong as well. It's not, you know, I don't stay in the mindset of the now, here and now. It's always about um, sort of looking towards the future and creating a really um, bright vision for it, you know? Mm. It's really hard, hey, because when I remember when I'm still young, obviously, I'm 21, but um, I remember when I was like 16, 17, and, you know, it might even be something small or big, and you just think it's the absolute end of the world. Like you really believe that it could be the smallest thing too. You know, you, you have a friendship breakup or, yep. you know, something happens at home that might be little and you really believe, you know, because maybe your hormones are going crazy or you're emotional. And it's so important to, like you said, look into that future, yep. which now, and look what you're doing. Like you're doing amazing. <laughs> you are booked and busy. Booked and busy. Um, but yeah, it, it is one of those things that as a young person, that, you know, it's hard enough just growing up. It's hard enough to mm. just find yourself and find your sense of belonging and who, you, and who you are as an individual, let alone being in a care system, you know, or dealing with trauma or dealing with um, family with addiction or, you know, um, or violence. It's, it's like these are just massive things that young people shouldn't have to go through, but too many of our young people in the care system go through this stuff. So it's sort of like trying to get themselves back as well, you know, figuring out who they really are and, and what's important to them and, and sort of muting the, 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 the loud noise around them and just focusing on themselves. That's, that's always helped me as well. Did you connect back with your brothers? Yeah. Um, my brothers and I are close. Uh, they have, uh, they live with my dad in Tamworth and they have, um, five, there's five. So there's, my older brother, Nathan, he has a boy and a girl, Ava and Ryder. And my younger brother, Aaron, has three boys, um, Leighton, Chanley and Lamar. And um, they're just wonderful, like, nieces, niece and nephew, um, nephews. And they're, they're living their life in Tamworth. They never wanted to move back to Sydney. I think it probably, you know, wasn't for them. But Where's I don't know. Tamworth? Tamworth's five and a half hours northwest of Sydney. Okay, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, wow. In the country and yeah they live there very happily you know living their lives and you know have partners and kids and my dad's there and um what's really exciting is this year actually my dad is going on his first ever international holiday which i'm taking taking him to fiji in june and and we're just in the process of getting him a passport and you know he's this like 68 year old black follower from the like the smallest little town and (laughs) i'm like I'm like, dad, we're going to do something this year that you've never done, you know? And then he's like, well, and I'm like, we're going overseas. So that that's really exciting for me. It's sort of my way of creating really strong memories and giving back to my dad because my dad worked his ass off to get um, us out of the care system. Yeah. Wow. Really? Did So did you end up going back to him after foster yeah. care? So oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So in foster care, they gave my dad an opportunity to, um, go to court and fight for us. And so what he had to do, he had to get off um, any drugs that he was on at the time, had to get off alcohol. He had to sober up and he did all of those things. He got his own house. He got, you know, everything 
ready for us to be able to come home and you know live a good life and he worked really hard and he visited he came down from Tamworth and on a train and he you know did a fortnightly visit um and we'd see him every second week for the last six months and he just put in the most amount of effort um that he could to be able to get us and so he finally won um custody of us in court and he we went to live with him what was that moment like when you found out that he had won oh it was like surreal because my brothers and i were split up at the time but we'd always see each other like at visits with dad so it was always our moment of reconnection and it was almost like a dream like I didn't think it was going to happen again once again I didn't believe that it was like okay you know this is just some false promise but when it happened and we got on the train we ended up getting on a train with him I have the photos of the day we were on the we're getting on the train and we're all these little kids with all these bags it's so funny and (laughs) and you know we're getting on this train to go and live with him in Tamworth and it was yeah it was unreal when that train door closed just to think that like it was actually happening yeah but we look like little old men. Them white fellas look <laughs> real funny. Like, like, like the high-waisted pants, like the, the little shorts. I'm like grumpiest. I probably was like, in the photos, I look really grumpy. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm over this shit. Just get me. <laughs> <laughs> Did they put you in like the collared shirts ever? Yeah, collared shirts and like baggy pants and like these trousers with joggers and like, like green and mustard colors i was like, i actually know exactly what you're talking about that is yeah. so funny yeah have you uh, ever thought about doing um like public speaking for young people i will i actually um have developed a uh, online series and it's um called anagun Yumidigo and it's with a program called young mob and i connect um young aboriginal people with uh, people who they'd like to interview so they, you know, I meet with them and they say, oh, you know, I really want to interview Madeline Madden. And and today I'm saying Maddie because we did one today. And then what I do is I teach them how to um, develop a script, come up with questions um, and then organise um, an interview between them and the guests, whoever they choose. And they get to do a half an hour interview with them and um, and represent their school doing it. So, um that's amazing. Is that is it just Young Mob you're doing with? Yeah, Young Mob. So wow. how long have you been doing that for? Um, over COVID, it was something that um I thought about when I came off the back of Big Mob Recce, and I thought, oh, you know, how can I give this experience to young people? How can I actually plant a seed in the hearts of Young Mob that one day somebody's going to come and do this job? You know, be on a breakfast TV show, be a you know news presenter, be an entertainment reporter do you know do get away like how can i plant a seed in their heart that they have an opportunity to be able to you know to to nurture this dream and and let it grow into something and so i just partnered with a program because i didn't have obviously the resources or the networks of the young people and um developed this 10-part online series so we partnered with 10 different schools across new south wales where they got to choose a host from their school um and that that you know whoever wanted to be a host had to do an expression of interest and it was about developing their public speaking skills um and then i work with them and do a workshop on creating a uh you know a script um and developing questions based on some research um that they get to do before they meet with me and then we do a rehearsal 
and then we finally record an interview where they where they're the host of their own little tv show no um, way that is so cool I, sorry that is amazing to ha- hear that as a young person for little kids to be able to do that yeah it's, it's really cool and it's something that like is sort of the philanthropic part of my life that not many people know about it's something that I'm working on behind the scenes. Like I had a record today with a young person from um, Bundjalung Country and um, Madeline Madden at two o'clock. And so they, you know, he got to interview, he, were, he was a massive fan of hers. We worked on the script, we worked, we worked on, you know, doing research to find out some great questions. He then got to interview her today. And I hope that, you know, he goes away, he's one, developed public speaking skills. He knows how to hold himself in front of a camera. Um, he knows how to do research because he's researched for the questions. He knows how to write because he wrote the questions. And then he was able to hold himself in this amazing half an hour interview and meet his idol. So it's a win, 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 win for me to be able to like give that to young people. Um, but it's not something Did that- Did do that in person? At, well, next season. So I'm developing- season two at the moment where hopefully we can get some um some in-person interviews there was one that we did this year with do you know cooking with the curry yeah 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 yeah. so they did um so nathan Lyons is his name he went to uh, one of the schools and met with the young person and they did it in person so um yeah it's, it's just a, also a way of me being able to share my um connections you know with young people i'm going you know i know all these cool people in the industry do you want to talk to them like do you want to have a yarn with cooking with a cory or do you want to have a yarn with you know jess malboy or do you want to have a yarn with you know whoever it is um but we've got some really great big names on this season um and then next season we're hoping to do it in person all of it are you promoting this no because some of these kids are in out of home care okay yeah so it's yep. really hard to be able to um, have this on a public forum. So all of it's on the ground work. Um, the schools that are involved get to see all the episodes, um, but only the schools. So they, they, it's not shareable. They can't go and, you know, put it on YouTube or whatever. Yep. It's very much on a domain where only the schools who have participated are able to see it. Um, and then also it'll become part of the program's curriculum. So they'll, they'll you know, have, here's a yarn, you know, based on this theme, there's 10 different themes that we've worked across, but um, yeah, it's really cool. Cause it's not something that I promote because obviously of all those elements, but it's, I don't think it needs to be promoted. I just want to be able to just like- Make inject, a difference. Yeah, inject that inspiration into those kids. And then one day they're like, oh, okay, you know what? Maybe I want to be a TV presenter and then they can take my job. <laughs> and no, but like to even see that it's possible as well. Like when I was growing up, yeah. you know, I had, you know, Ryan, my uncle Ryan, hey? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uncle Ryan and Catherine Little, I don't know. That's yeah. my other auntie. Yeah, so I saw them up on TV, but besides them, like- I can't, I couldn't even tell you if I didn't even know if there was Aboriginal actors, like I didn't know anything. And to kind of have someone to be able to come to that, to school or, you know, send that information out and to be able to have that opportunity. It's just like, just amazing for blackfellas too. Totally. Um, it, it's the work, the industry's changing. It's, it's not like it once was we're breaking down some barriers and, you know, kicking through these doors and it's so great to see because, Yes, I might be the first black fella on Getaway, but there will be many more to come. You might be mm. one of these kids that I'm talking to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's the dream. So let's talk about that for a second. I think I've heard a little bit of the story of how that happened, but tell me how the hell you got Getaway. Like that is just amazing. That's always been some like 
Channel Nine white show. Yes, <laughs> see some yes. like old man or you know that I think that I don't know that other woman, the blonde hair, yeah, always blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know it is, and I'll be really honest about that. It is a very white dominated show. It's a show that when I was watching, I was uh, shocked that I walked away from the TV. I, I went and did something upstairs. And I came down and I didn't know if the presenter had changed or not. And that was like, I was like, oh, she looks like that other girl, but is it the other girl? <laughs> and then another girl came on, she looked exactly the same. She was blonde hair, blue eyed. And then a guy came on and he was blonde hair and blue eyes. And to me, this was just like a moment where I, where I was sitting on the lounge and I was like, okay, I know someone at Channel 9, I'm going to text them right now and ask them if I can meet with the head of Getaway. This is just my brain going wild at, you know, 7 o'clock on a Thursday night. And so I text this person and, and she had a connection with a guy called John Walsh, who's the big producer at, um, at 9, who I actually had worked with previously. So I was like, okay, great, it's John. I know John. Get me a meeting with John. And so I went in and I met with John and I, and I pitched my heart out and I said, I know that, you know, Getaway has a formula. It's been on the air for 30 years. It must be working for you guys, but something needs to change and you need an Indigenous presenter on the show to showcase Indigenous tourism as well as the rest. And he was like, oh, okay, not a bad idea. Go and shoot something and, and you know, and, and let me know if, uh, go and shoot something and let me see what you have. Let me see what you have to offer. So went off and did my own, you know, fake mock Getaway shoot. And, um, and then I sent it in, edit, I produced it, wrote it, edited it, sent it in. And, um, and then I got the green light and that was a year ago in April. He was like, okay, you know what? You're good enough. You, you, you can do this if you want. And, and that was it. Yeah. Wow. How did you feel when you actually got that green light? Yeah. You know, I sent in the clip, um, sort of April last year. And then, yeah, April last year. And then I didn't hear back for a little while. So I was like, oh no, I've stuffed things up. Like this is, I wasn't good enough. Oh, they hate me. And then I heard back about three weeks later and he, and he said, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I've been shooting Beauty and the Geek. I just mm -hmm. want to say really well done on the production of your um, clip. Um, we're very happy to have you on board. We'd be proud to have you on board. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, I've got the gig. Like I got a, my dream, you know, my dream gig is to be able to travel, travel around Australia, the world, connect with mob here, first nations people everywhere and, um, and tell their stories. And so for me, I'm like, okay, like it was a surreal moment and then things shut down because of COVID. So I haven't been able to do anything and it's been a year. Um, but recently we, we got a shoot in the bag. So we're off and running. We're doing a few things in, um, Western Australia in the next couple of months because the borders opened. Um, we've got a, uh, shoot planned for Northern New South Wales soon. So it's like over the next few months, I have about four or five, um, shoots, which is exciting. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's pretty surreal to think that I'm doing it, to be honest. Yeah. It's going to be surreal when I see an Aboriginal person on Getaway. I'm like, what? Where's this blondie gone? I know, so funny. Like, it's, it's just one of those things where it'll be shocking for that show because they. I, I looked at every single presenter, so I did my research before I went in and I, there's a list of the presenters on Getaway and every single one of them was a white person. 
And I almost wanted to just take that document in and be like, here, this is the issue. There's all white people on here. Why is there no black fellas or like anyone else? Or anyone, uh, like literally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it is a, it's a good step and, and I'm really excited about it. I'm excited, um, to work with the getaway team. They're absolute professionals. I worked with them last week. Um, yeah. And, and teach them, you know, like they haven't done any of this sort of content. So I'm happy to share, um, my culture with them as well. Mm. So are you going to go back to your country too and film? Hopefully. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really want to, it's about finding the right sort of experiences um, which align with the show as well because you know getaways are all about sort of that like fun uh, uh, sort of experience so like a bushwalk isn't like the vibe <laughs> um, so we're gonna have to find like you know something on um, Camilla Roy country that is a little bit got a little bit of energy um, which I will find eventually I just haven't been able to um, I don't have any time to do it right now do they have like waterfalls and stuff there no. Is it like more dry country or? Dry country, yeah. So it would okay, need, yeah. yeah. So then I'm thinking um, to do like, this is the idea that I've had already. It's that there's a big Tamworth Country Music Festival in Tamworth. Using mm -hmm. that as the reason to go, but then getting Blackfella content within that. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. So, you know, Black artists, there's an Aboriginal showcase that happens where all these, you know, Blackfellas come and perform. Um, getting that element of it um, within the festival. Because it, it, obviously it's getaway. It's not, you know, um, it's not everyone's cup of tea. And also getaway is very specific with what it chooses to shoot. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to learn from them as well. Like I'm, I'm, I'm new to the tourism game. Mm. They've got 30 years of experience. I can't wait to just soak it all up. Yeah, as well as like showcasing, you know, Blackfella tourism. That'll be amazing because it's not really showcased I don't really think anywhere. Like I can't think of a TV show. I don't really watch mainstream TV anymore. I'm like a binge watcher. <laughs> I love my TV series and docos and stuff like that. But, you know, it'll be amazing to be able to, as an Aboriginal person, watch Getaway and not be like, oh. Okay. I know, right, yeah. And, so, <laughs> and that's what I like. I, I, I'm working with my team to create some good publicity around it as well so that people know, you know, there's a black fella on this show now. Um, it's not just something that someone stumbles across, but people are well aware that Getaway has a new perspective on tourism. Um, that's sort of our slogan that we're working with. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. It'll be really awesome to see all the um, place names as well. Yeah. Because I'm assuming that you'll, well, like, use them first and then, you know, um, send the white name, um, yeah. which will be really beautiful because I've been starting to notice that more and more people are, you know, putting on their Instagram bios, like living on Bunurong country or this country or this country. And it's really nice yeah. to see as an Aboriginal person. Cause I'm sure you, you know, remember growing up and just being like, it's just, there's nothing. There's no, there's just nothing. It's like, we've been white, yeah, so, really. like, yeah. you know, but we are still here. So it's really beautiful that, um, you know, people are starting to take those measures to acknowledge that we are the traditional owners. One hundred percent. It's it's beautiful to see. It's really exciting to be able to also deliver that on a mainstream platform. You know, like I did my first shoot the other week, and it was beautiful to be able to say, you know, I'm a Camilleroy man on Gadigal country. Blah 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 blah. Use language, and also, I want majority of my shoots to incorporate language. Um, 
and they will, especially the place names, but further than that, um, to, you know, to talk about culture um, on, on getaway. So it's just about, you know, it depends also on how willing that country and those people are to share mm -hmm. their culture. And obviously be led by them on yeah. whatever country and stuff like that. It's actually funny how it was not funny, but there are actually so many politics in shooting and where you're shooting and, you know, what you're saying and who you're interviewing. So good luck with that when we, um, Thank you. <laughs> literally like when we were shooting for, um, I don't know if you know, but I did a documentary recently with SBS. So I, um, was the host of that and we went back to where I'm from. So I spent three months in the NT doing that. And, um, man, it was so hard sometimes because obviously like everyone's got their own ideas of, you know, who's the, who actually is the TOs. And then you've got like dating it further back into like, you know, hundreds of years ago on traditional law and like, Oh, it's just, it's so confusing. And, you know, everyone, no one wants to step on anyone's toes, but you know, once you get the right content, it's really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting because I work with a white crew, like whole white crew. So I'll be expected to lead the way. And it's like, mm, I don't really want to have to do that, but yeah. there are these things where it's like, you know, it's better to have the opportunity to do it than to be like, Oh, I'm not doing anything. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit like that. Mm -hmm. And so you had your um, show in the moment on Instagram. That was, you don't do that anymore. Do you? I'm going to do it. I just need to find, um, time. <laughs> yes. time. Um, I'm going to do a second season of it. I'm going to change it up. I think it's going to be, um, pre-produced. So it's going to mm -hmm. be live on Instagram. I think yeah. pre-produced, um, sort of a show and I want it to be, um, on location. So different locations. Uh, it's in the, it's in the pipeline because it, it needs to be, I just don't want to do the same thing I did. I, it needs to be elevated um, and it needs Keep to... Keep levelling up. Yeah, and just be, you know, a new... Con a, a, an evolution of the original concept, I'd say. Um, so, one, i got to find people who are going to pay me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and because it costs money to create great content and... And uh, time, and time is money. Mm -hmm. And so I think it won't be until later in the year. I think... <laughs> maybe I could, I think it'll be the second half of the year. I definitely will have it out this year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really exciting. Cause I remember you did the moment and then I started seeing you filming with, you know, like Barker and Jess and mm -hmm. um, Brooke and stuff on the point. So how did you go about getting that job? Like where was the, where was the connection from that? Yeah. Um, the point NITV reached out to me and, um, Obviously, for Big Mob Brecky, I'd work for them as the entertainment reporter. Um, and then off the back of that, I did In The Moment. And then off the back of In The Moment, NITV reached out and said, oh, you know, I'd love to meet with you. Uh, would you be interested in being the entertainment reporter for the show? It was something that I always wanted to do. I didn't think that it would, um, you know, come about so quickly. I thought that I'd be doing some other stuff. But, um, yeah, that was really organically uh, crafted around entertainment yarns and about, you know, and also based on my relationships within the industry, I've good, I've built good relationships within the industry to be able to utilize them for NITV as well. So there's a little bit of um, strategy behind yeah. having me as the entertainment reporter, I'm sure. Um, 
But it's my dream. It's my dream to be able to connect with these mob who are doing so well and also just like are elevated in their industries and in their fields and in and in whatever they do. So I'm loving it. I think that, you know, being able to do Blackfella entertainment and Blackfella tourism, I'm probably have the best job in the world. <laughs> um, and, and I hope to be able to continue to do it, you know, for a long time. Especially with Getaway being able to just travel to different countries and, you know, see how beautiful different countries were. When um, I was doing my doco, one thing I learned more about where I'm from is how, you know, there's a thing called boundaries. So, like, I'm sure you probably know, but, like, boundaries on each country and what that actually means for different groups of people and stuff. And when we learn about those boundaries, going from, you know, you could actually recognise why, you know, Aranda people might have cared for this country and Luritan might have cared for this because it's so different, the actual country. And, like, it'd be really interesting for non-Aboriginal people to learn about why we have so many countries in the whole of Australia because that's why, because, you know, like, in a sense, well, we do belong to that country, but why we have certain groups to each one because each country is cared for so differently. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was so beautiful to be able to see that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I'm so excited to go to WA in a few weeks um, when the borders open to shoot sort of three apps for um, Getaway because I don't know that country that well. So I'm going to be using the traditional owner's knowledge and, um, and, you know, I suppose also consulting with them on where to go and, and where to shoot and, and, and what to show um, respectfully. So like, I'm just excited and just as excited to do the show, but also to learn, like, I want to, I want to be a sponge. I want to learn from mob all over this country, but also internationally, I'd love to do first nation people in Canada. I'd love to go over and do our brothers and sisters in, you know, um, our Maori brothers and sisters in New Zealand. I'd love, you know, like for me, that's the dream as well, not just in Australia, but to be able to share First Nations tourism culture um, around the world. Because that's mm-hmm. what Getaway is. Getaway hardly ever shoots in Australia. It's only shot in Australia because of COVID. So I want to do a lot of content here, but I also want to do a lot of content overseas. Mm-hmm. Maddie goes global. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. World tour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally though that's actually a passion of mine also is kind of like whilst uplifting first nations here Mm -hmm. i want to kind of take us out of that pigeonhole as well to be able to introduce us to the world because we've kind we've been oppressed for so long and it's time that the world recognizes you know our talent on a global level yeah Mm. totally i um yeah 100 agree and it's also just about supporting first nations people as well like globally you know yeah we're all in it together hey Mm-hmm. So one thing I want to ask you as well is going back to the care system, what is, you know, we, we work with a lot of foster carers here, a lot of carers and respite carers and whatnot. Um, and a lot of them are really trying to do their best with our young people. And we want them to be able to advocate for our children on their best behalf. Um, and that's what we do as well. But what is some advice that you could give to a foster carer that is, you know, taking on three Aboriginal boys or, you know, an Aboriginal child? Like what is, what is something that you wish they had done? Yeah, I think um, obviously each child is different um, and each experience is, is 
different and unique. Um, I think trying to understand what is important to an individual child is key. Like when you get a family, say you get three boys, three Aboriginal boys, those three boys are going to be very different and they have very different needs. And what I needed wasn't what my brother Aaron needed and what Nathan needed. It's about, I think, you know, taking time to be able to actually cement really solid um, relationships with the young people and, and having adult conversations with young people as well, you know, um, mature conversations and asking them what they need um, from your relationship. And also just recognising that these kids are coming from really tough circumstances. They're, they're not your average kid that is just, you know, eight years old and having the time of their lives. They're coming from trauma and normally their reactions are a response of trauma. So it's like un being able to unpack that and give them all the support they need when it comes to counselling. Counselling is so important, um, especially for young people who go through uh, horrific circumstances. Um, it can be it can be the turning point for them. They can either bounce back from their experiences, from working through them, and um, I suppose you know working on themselves with support, um, or or it can be the reason why they they stick to the life that they've seen. Uh, you know that abuse, that trauma, that addiction. Um, so yeah, I think that as a foster carer, it's essential to be gentle in building those relationships and provide um, the necessary support. And that's like counseling, um, you know, anything, even like small little things. I remember when I was young, being taken um, out to dinner was like amazing. You know what I mean? Like, I know it sounds ridiculous, but having something to eat at like a pub, I thought that I was so like bougie. Flash. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I'm flashed. Like I'm eating a steak at a pub. Like, and to, like looking back on that, those moments bring a lot of joy to kids' lives or being able to play a team sport, you know, connection, absolute connection. Um, yeah, because the last thing you want is that young person in care to feel isolated once again. Um, yeah, that would be my advice. Mm. That was some really beautiful advice. I'm really excited for our... Um foster carers to hear this because I'm going to make sure it gets sent out to you know all of our VACA staff as well our VACA staff and our um, carers and whatnot because I think it's really important to hear from people that have gone through the system um, and have come out you know and there's some we've lost along the way some that have lost their way and um, some that are killing it some that are just living their lives and that's just amazing for them so yeah, it's really beautiful to hear your story. So thank you so much, Maddie, for coming on. I appreciate it so much. <laughs> thank you. No, it's so lovely to talk about all this stuff as well because, it, you know, it's. I feel like whenever I share my story, I, it's always in the hope that some young person who, you know, is in a tricky situation may hear it and it might change, it might make their day, you know, as a small thing or it might change the trajectory of their life. They might go, you know what, like I, I'm in that circumstance, I'm in care system or whatever it is in these really tough circumstances, but if he's done it, I can do it. So that that's the dream. That's, mm. you know, why you do things. You do them because it's way beyond yourself. It's not about, it's very little about yourself when you've come from tough circumstances. It's always about how you can inspire others. 
that that is really amazing that you said that because I often feel like that as well like when I do things I was having this conversation with someone the other day and they kind of had the mindset of um you know what am I going to do like what's my little thing going to do and I was like it's not about that though it's like beyond what you're thinking it's the bigger picture of things like your little thing that you're doing right now could affect so many other people in positive ways yeah totally you have to think beyond your own circumstances and beyond your own life you're a very small drop in the ocean when it comes to the grand scheme of things but mm. what you do can have massive impact so you know do the right thing mm. well thank you so much maddie for coming on and everyone that's listening right now i hope you've enjoyed this podcast i know i certainly have and um good luck with your what is it your queer panel tonight oh thank you so much yeah it's on site yes. um, i'm super excited about that there's so many amazing crazy amazing people on on the panel tonight so i'm excited i'm actually just gonna do some work for that now thanks everyone for joining us on mob talk this week if you like this podcast please share it with your friends and don't forget to chuck us a follow on instagram and we'll see you all for another yarn soon